Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Oh dang. And I feel like this is going to be a very long episode for multiple reasons. It's a possibility. Sounds like you have some things on the agenda to say the least. Yes. It's the last episode of the month of August, so we're going to have plenty to discuss as far as new releases go. But also, you finished Arch Enemies, so that's going to take some time, because apparently when you end a book, we talk about it longer for some reason. That is usually how that ends up working out. But like I had mentioned in the sports episode, we are going to be taking about a week off because your birthday's coming up, followed very quickly thereafter by my grandmother's birthday. So we're going to spend a few days up in Oklahoma. And probably a few days during the week adventuring, which is exciting. If you like adventures, sure. Well, there might be book ventures involved. Well, that's more fun. Yeah. But as far as news for the week goes, first up is... Casey McQuiston, who wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue, as well as One Last Stop, will be coming out with her first YA novel in the summer of 2022. There are no specific details about either the plot or the characters for I Kissed Shara Wheeler at the moment, but Barnes & Noble has said that it's another fresh and funny romance about first love and finding yourself complete with a lively and lovable cast of characters. Oh man. I'm sure more information is going to come out within the coming months. The Netflix film Twitter account revealed that Emma Corrin, Jack O'Connell, and Matthew Duckett are set to star in the Sony 3000 Pictures and Netflix adaptation of Lady Chatterley's Lover. The film will be directed by Lauren de Clermont-Tonnerre, with David McGee writing the script. The movie is an adaptation of D.H. Lawrence's 1928 novel of the same name. Lady Chatterley lives a life of wealth and privilege. She finds herself falling out of love with the man she marries and ends up having an affair with the gamekeeper for her English estate. After realizing she's fallen in love with the gamekeeper, Lady Chatterley decides to break society's traditions and find happiness with the man she really loves. Well, that's good. You should always find love with the person you really care about and love about. Sure, have an affair, that's fine, is what I just heard. Well, like, no. She was married. But if she wasn't in love with the person anymore, like, break it off, at least. Right. It's also not something that I feel like was conventional for the woman to leave the man at that point in time. I feel like sometimes it's still judged that way, which is wrong, but, like, as a whole, you know, still maybe a little frowned upon? Also, a little bit of me is worried that it's going to be, like, smutty. Well. Because of the title. Yeah, you're probably in for some of that. You've got to kind of expect that's coming, but I don't know. I don't think I would ever read it. Kind of like the Bridgerton series, like I would never read that. I know nothing about Bridgerton, so I can't speak to it, but yeah, I don't know. I guess kind of speaking about Bridgerton. Oh, God. Actress Phoebe Dinever, who was on Bridgerton. Okay. Is set to executive produce the upcoming adaptation for Exciting Times with Amazon Studios. The show will be based on Nawaz Dolan's novel of the same name. Black Bear optioned the rights to the book before it hit shelves in June of 2020. And Dolan is set to co-write the series with Cooper Rafe, who is also tapped to serve as the director. It sounds a lot like people just giving themselves jobs. Doesn't it, though? The novel features Ava, an Irish woman who tutors rich English children abroad. She soon finds herself entwined in a love triangle with a lawyer named Edith and a banker named Julian. Doesn't sound like my kind of thing, but I feel like this is sort of becoming more popular in the book community than it was when it originally came out. So I think it might do well. Yeah. I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's definitely not something I'm going to race out to go buy, as you would know, but... Well, no, you're Mr. Action-Adventure, and that's the only book worth reading. Maybe it's an action-adventure love triangle. (laughs) I feel like those are called mystery thrillers. And the the teacher saves the class. Oh, I was going to say she's going to get murdered. Well, probably, but that's, that's not the point. I don't know if that's actually the plot, or if we're just making things up, but... The last bit of news news for the week is that Hachette Book Group has signed a $240 million 
binding commitment, is what they're calling it, to acquire Workman Publishing, which is one of the largest independent presses in the country. I guess it was independent, not anymore. I was going to say, I think they just became unindependent. Right. So dependent. Yes. With this purchase, Workman, alongside its imprints, Algonquin, Algonquin Young Readers, Artisan, Story Publishing, and Timber Press will become Hachette's eighth publishing group. So more of people just becoming monopolies, basically. Well, it's not like the book community isn't already like that. Let's just right. be honest. Well, Penguin Random House used to be Penguin and then Random House. Yes. It, it used to be two different publishing houses. And in the process of getting to where they were, they were already eating up other businesses. So. Right. Welcome to America, where we say we don't support monopolies, but then give everybody monopolies. I feel like this is going to lead to talking about Disney owning everything in the world. So let's just jump off that. I don't want Disney coming after me. Me neither. I'm very scared of them. Mickey Mouse would come knock the door and serve a lawsuit. The real clubhouse is the jail they stick you in. Yeah. But <laughs> moving away from that, I have the September releases that... Either I'm excited for or I know other people will be excited about these books. And I think I have 12, so. Okay, so what you're saying uh-huh. is uh-huh. get comfortable, find a bottle of water, and buckle up. Maybe a snack. Not for you because you have a microphone, but listeners. Get a snack, something to drink, settle in. The first one is The Hawthorne Legacy by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. This is probably my most anticipated read for the year, so... Like, I'm ready. This one comes out on September 7th, and it's book number two in the Inheritance Game series. I think we're just now finding out that it's going to be a three-book series, so this is going to be the middle one. Well, that's exciting. I know that the name sounded familiar, so, like, I was like, it has to be something she's read before, and then you told me it was the second book, and I'm like, ah, I got it. Yes, the first one being the Inheritance Games. Which you loved. You sang praises about, so... It would have been a five star, but there is a side character that I have too many similarities to, so that really threw me for a loop every time I was <laughs> is reading about them. Libby back again? Well, she's the sister of the main character who is not eighteen yet, so I assume so. She's like her guardian. Alrighty, we're in for another four and a half stars then. <laughs> Hopefully not. In the first book, Avery Grams is shocked to find out that she has inherited most of a billionaire's fortune. The only string attached is that she must live in his sprawling Texas mansion with his family in order to receive it. But will she survive and solve the mystery of why she got this inheritance with the Passover family members breathing down her neck? And at least for book one, the answer was yes. But book two continues where the first one left off, so we'll see what happens from there. There was a giant cliffhanger at the end of book one, so I'm hoping we dive into that in book two. The second book is by an author that I've read from before. I don't know about reading this one, but I love most of what she writes, so I probably will. It's called The Last Legacy by Adrian Young. It releases also on September 7th. This one will be a standalone YA fantasy. The synopsis for this one is that when she turns 18, Bren Roth is summoned back to Bastion to prove herself and finally take her place in her long-lost family. She must win everyone's trust if she wants to hold any power. It doesn't take long for her to see that the Roths are entangled in the kind of dirty business that got Bryn's parents killed years ago. So I feel like that could be good, but it seems very character-driven, so it really depends on like what the dirty business is, I think. Yeah, my concern is how thick of a book is it going to be? Cause like for a standalone fantasy? Standalone fantasies are usually pretty big books. Hopefully it's not the Priory of the Orange Tree. That book was almost 900 pages long. Different author, but a standalone fantasy. Yeah. And then there's Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty. That releases a week later on September 14th. That's already a lie. Apples do fall. Well, it's part of the saying apples never fall far from the tree. That's kind of the whole point. It's a family like mystery thriller. Got it. In this one, a family of tennis pros are thrown for a loop when a stranger turns up at their doorstep bleeding after a fight with her boyfriend. Later, when the mom goes missing, the stranger is nowhere to be seen and the police question the only person left in the house, the father. The family squares off as the children take sides. Did the father do it or is he innocent? And if he is innocent, why does he have so much to hide? I've read one thing from her before that I enjoyed. She's the author of Big Little Lies. Okay. 
but adult mystery thriller is generally not my jam as we've been discovering so I don't know if I would pick this up but I've already heard people talking about this one and enjoying it. Also out on September 14th is Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village by Maureen Johnson. That's already such a great title name that like isn't it? it, it that's phenomenal and I'm sad because it's probably the wrap-up of a series or something like that. No actually it's a standalone like non-fiction slash humor is I don't really know what to title it or call it. Call it great, because that's what it's going to be. It's basically what they're calling a tongue-in-cheek illustrated guide to the countless murder possibilities lurking behind quaint English villages. Like, you basically get that from the title, but... I just... Did she go to, like, quaint English villages? Well, her husband is from there, first of all. But she also has several things set in England, and I assume she's traveled there. She spent some time to be able to come up with these stories. Yeah. In the England of murder mysteries and TV detectives, no destination is deadlier than a quaint country village, and you never know you're in a murder village until it's too late. And there are some quotes that earlier viewers have put on the reviews on Goodreads that I wanted to reference, because this might give you an idea of the type of tips she gives you. One of them being, when you see the vicar, run. If you are not dead yet, the vicar is obliged to kill you. The second one is, stick with the dogs. Dogs are angels and protect us from everything, and we do not deserve them. It's probably a good tip, to be completely honest. Like, if you had to have a tip, that's the one to have, so. I don't think the cat sitting literally right behind me would agree, but. In fairness, if somebody came to kill you, the cat would probably just go, stranger, run. So, like. And then I just stick with her and I'll survive. I guess. No, we know I can't run as fast as her. We know that to be a fact. And then one that I've heard people talking about, so I thought it already came out, but apparently it is also releasing on September 14th, is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. It's a standalone YA mystery slash thriller that is said to be The Haunting of Hill House meets Get Out in this chilling YA psychological thriller and modern take on a classic haunted house story. So the perfect time to come out. In this one, Marigold moves with her family from their small California beach town to the Midwestern city of Cedarville, but their picture-perfect home on Maple Street is full of secrets. Household items vanish, doors open on their own, lights turn off, shadows walk past rooms, voices can be heard in the walls, and there's a foul smell seeping through the vents that only Marigold seems to notice. As the house closes in, Marigold learns that the danger isn't limited to Maple Street. The town is full of secrets, too, and secrets always find their way through the cracks. I was going to say, how many more plant names were they going to use? Cedarville, Maple Street, Marigold? I was like, whew. But I feel like if you're in, like, a small town in the Midwest, like, you do live on Maple Street in Cedarville. Like, that's a thing. As somebody who's lived in a small town... It's like first, second, and then president names are pretty common. But like, That's true, too. Those are the, the more common ones. I don't know too many Maple Streets, but maybe I missed a few of them. You did. <laughs> and then there's also a romance coming out on September 14th. It's The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. It's an adult romance that includes fake dating. Okay. So I'm sort of on board here, but I don't know. I'm not sure. PhD candidate Olive doesn't believe in lasting relationships, but fakes a romantic relationship with the first man to cross her path in order to get her best friend off her back. That man is Adam Carlson, a young hotshot professor from a different department. During this fake relationship, Olive discovers that the only thing more complicated than a hypothesis on love is putting her own heart under the microscope. And I'm not sure about this one just because... I've heard people say it's like Kylo Ren and Ray fanfiction. Well, we know you don't support that, so. Well, because he's just an emo boy being a little crybaby. Kylo Ren, not this Adam, whoever he is. Could be, though, if it's the same style storyline. True. But I haven't read it, so I couldn't tell. And the last September 14th release I have, we had a lot of those is The Wisdom of Crowds by Joe Abercrombie. It is book number three in the Age of Madness series and an adult epic fantasy. I don't know anything about this. I just know Joe Abercrombie is 
well-loved in the fantasy circles. So pardon me if I get something wrong about this. But from what I read, it looks like the first book follows three people as they struggle to get what they want out of life in an epic fantasy setting. Leo Dan Brock struggles to win fame on the battlefield. Savine Dan Glotka plans to claw her way to the top of society by any means necessary. And Erika struggles to control the power of the long eye, which is apparently seeing the future. That kind of makes sense, the long eye, because you're seeing into the future, like long ways into things. I think that's why you named it that. Yeah. But I don't know anything about the series. I just know he's really popular. One I know more about is When Sparks Fly by Helena Hunting because I already read it through NetGalley. It releases on September 21st and I ended up rating it 3.75 stars. So for an adult romance, that is really high for me. I was going to say that's like a really, really high rating for you when it comes to anything adult, period. Let's be honest, not just romance. Well, romance, I also feel like there's not a lot of world building usually, and so it's hard for me to rate it above a four. In that one, it is a friends-to-lover romance about roommates and best friends when one is in an accident and the other has to become their caretaker. And that one was really on the road to being like a solid four, 4.25 for me, which would have been even better but it had this certain theme and like point it was trying to get across that I felt was really heavy-handed at the end but I also think it's a really good time and it was really well written and I really enjoyed it well that's important the next one also comes out on September 21st and I've already heard some buzz about it it is Under the Whispering Door by TJ Klune it's an adult contemporary fantasy is what it's labeled as on Goodreads In this one, a ghost refuses to cross over to the afterlife and is given a week to cross over. So the ghost goes about living a lifetime in seven days. That's pretty interesting. He's also the one who wrote The House in the Cerulean Sea, and that one was really popular and very feel-good. Other people are saying that this is also like a feel-good kind of story, even though it's surrounding death. So I think he is probably one of those authors who does a good job balancing like the heavy stuff with the lighthearted things. And then another one that I've already read that is coming out in September is A Magical New York Christmas by Anita Hughes. I read it through NetGalley and it comes out on September 28th. I rated it 3.75 stars. Now looking back on it, it feels a little generous. Maybe it should have been a 3.5, but I was reading so many duds that week. I think it just elevated it that extra quarter star. It made it look like the shiny turd in the pile of books. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Well, but like it's the best of the ones you didn't really like. Right. In this one, a freelance journalist is helping an art dealer write his memoirs when she falls in love with someone she suspects is part of the British royalty. It's when she's staying in the Plaza Hotel in New York and helping the author by day and by night running into this guy who she discovers, well, she thinks she discovers that he's royalty, but really he works for royalty. And so they both, for different reasons, think that they can't be together. So it's got mutual pining if you're into that, which I am. The word pining always makes me laugh just a little bit because it's just so weird sounding. Like, I get it now because you've clarified it for me, but, like... Did you think it had something to do with pine trees for a while? Yep, definitely. That was totally what I understood it as. I knew it. It's not at all. And then another one that I'm excited about because I've recently marathoned the first two in this series is Teen Titans' Beast Boy Loves Raven by Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo. It releases on September 28th as well. It is the third graphic novel in the Teen Titans series. I don't know if this is the last one, because I feel like it'd be a weird place to stop, but at the same time, it depends on how it progresses, I guess. In this one, Ravens and Garfield's paths converge in Nashville as they seek out the one person who can give them answers, Slade Wilson. I am kind of excited for this, even though I haven't read the first two. I think I liked Raven more, so I'm excited to get back to seeing Raven, but I think how she interacts with Garfield will decide whether or not I like Garfield in this one. Okay. Because I didn't love him. Like, he was fine, but, like, he wasn't a favorite. Right. So. I kind of, going into this, knew Raven was going to be your favorite. So, like, it's just because I have a general understanding of their backstory. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of personality-wise. I could see you enjoy. Yeah. 
And then the last book that I have to discuss coming out in September also releases on September 28th is The Last Graduate by Naomi Novik. It's book number two in the Skolomance series. It's a YA dark academia series about a school where magically gifted students must succeed or die. There are no teachers, no holidays, and no friendships except for strategic ones. Survival is more important than any letter grade for the school won't allow its students to leave until they graduate or die. That sounds like a crappy school. Doesn't it, though? I haven't read the first one, but I've heard that some people didn't love the writing in the first one, but they enjoyed the book enough to continue the series. I don't know if it's just a duology or a full-blown series, but I think it's a duology. Don't quote me on that, though. She says into her microphone. On a podcast where people literally could quote us. As for what I have been reading, the first book that I finished this past week was Nick and Noel's Christmas Playlist by Cody Hall. I'm pretty sure I mispronounced her name on the last episode and I called her Noel and not Noel. You did. And I was a little confused, but because I didn't have notes in front of me, I was like, well, I mean, it could have been a male male romance. What do you know? Yeah. But this was another NetGalley read that publishes on October 5th. And It doesn't have a series page on Goodreads, but part of the title does say in parentheses that it's book number one in the Mistletoe Romance series. So I think it's going to be part of a series. Well, that's exciting for you because you love Christmas and Christmas romance. That's true. But this one I ended up rating 3.5 stars. So I enjoyed it. It's just as far as holiday romances go, it wasn't quite it. It didn't quite go there for me. In this one, Nick is home after discharging from the military, only to discover that his girlfriend of eight years has been cheating on him. Very common crappy situation. So his best friend, Noelle, makes it her mission to lift his spirits. And like the title suggests, music is a big deal for them, and it's mentioned quite often, specific songs or lyrics And there is a whole list at the back of the book of all the songs that they mentioned, which I appreciated because I found a few that I added to my playlist on my, um, not spreadsheets, on my playlist. Yeah. But for me, I really bought into their friendship, but I didn't completely buy into their romance because it just felt like the author did a poor job explaining to the reader or from these different perspectives, how they felt about each other romantically. And so like the longing's not there, the like desire doesn't even really seem like it's there. So that's part of the reason it was only a 3.5, but it's very Christmassy. It's very family related. They freaking live on and run a Christmas tree farm. So of course. I was gonna say it's pretty Christmassy if there's a Christmas tree farm in place. And I liked all of their friends who were the side characters, but there were some things that I just couldn't get over, like the ex-girlfriend and how she still had like some sort of like grasp on him, even though he just found out she was cheating and she broke his heart. And like he had an engagement ring for her and like he shouldn't have even wanted to come near her. And yet she kept like regretting that she had to end things with him because he found out about her cheating and... It was a whole mess that felt unnecessary to the rest of the plot. But if it's setting up a series, I could kind of see how like that. Well, I feel like it's going to be his siblings have romances after Mm. this. I don't think that it's anything to do with him in particular. Gotcha. And the second thing that I read was If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio, which is a 2017 release. I feel like I've heard this, heard about this for so long that like, I feel like it should be older. But it's only a 2017 release based on Goodreads. That's still a good number of years, though. Yeah. This one is a dark academia mystery slash thriller novel. I ended up rating it four stars, so I really enjoyed it. But I didn't absolutely love it. And we'll get to why in a moment. Okay. In this novel, Oliver has just served 10 years in jail for a murder that he may or may not have committed. On the day of his release, he discusses what really happened all those years ago with Detective Colburn, who was the man who originally tried to solve the case. In the past timeline, seven young actors studying Shakespeare at an elite arts college are shaken when one of them is found dead. The rest of them face their greatest acting challenge yet, convincing the police and themselves that they're innocent. And 
I really enjoyed it because it's very atmospheric and like I read half of this book one day when it was pouring down rain and that was like the perfect time for me to read this. Like it was dark and creepy and spooky and I really enjoyed it. I think my problem really stems from the fact that they are Shakespearean actors running around quoting Shakespeare all the time even when they're not prepping for a play because A, I know theater kids are just like that but like it got to be too much Shakespeare at some point. Got it. But also, the it felt like the author was hiding a lot of subtext in the moments when they were quoting Shakespeare or acting Shakespeare. And some of it, I was too busy trying to read through the Shakespeare and understand what was happening with that to pick up on the smaller moments that were happening actor to actor and nothing to do with the Shakespeare text. Gotcha. And it just crisscrossed too much or like... Well, it felt like she was trying to kind of hint at or hide certain people's intentions in these scenes where we see them acting with each other. Gotcha. And it was just a little too heavy-handed for me to just automatically understand what was happening. And I feel like if I reread it, I would understand what was happening better. But that's what kept it from being 4.5, five stars for me. And the last thing I read in the past week, I actually just finished like half an hour before we set up to record. And it was Waking Gods by Sylvain Nouvelle. It's a 2017 release as well, but this one is an adult sci-fi novel that I rated 4.25 stars. So probably the best thing I read this week. As a child, Rose Franklin discovered a giant metal hand. As an adult, she has dedicated her scientific career to solving the mystery that began that fateful day. Years of investigation have produced intriguing answers and even more perplexing questions, but the truth is closer than ever before when a second robot, more massive than the first, materializes and lashes out with deadly force. And this one I really enjoyed. There was a twist, like, right at the end of part three that was, like, a really well done one where it's like, I should have seen this coming. Like, all of the breadcrumbs were there and I just didn't connect all the dots. And, like, so well done. As opposed to the kind where, like, I couldn't have seen that coming because you didn't give me all the information. So it was a twist that I really enjoyed and I really want to pick up book three. But I had to order it online because I don't have it. Which means I have to wait at least a week. That is pretty much the turnaround time now, depending on where the book is coming from, from Barnes & Noble, so. But I'm really enjoying the series. I was surprised to find that I enjoyed book two more than book one, because I did really enjoy it. But I think both books suffer from the fact that the way the story is told separates the reader from the characters enough that I don't feel as attached to them as I feel like I could be if this was written in prose. But this is written more in like after action reports or mission journals or people's actual journals or interviews. And so like it's very secondhand. It feels like even though we are hearing people discussing things with each other or I guess reading people discussing things with each other. Gotcha, gotcha. But I'm sure I'm going to read that next month at some point. I would imagine you would. As for what I plan on reading next week, I will be continuing with my yearly Harry Potter reread by reading Prisoner of Azkaban. Let's not discuss that anymore. I'll also be reading Imperfect Chemistry by Mary Frame. It's a 2014 release and an adult romance. It's book number one in the Imperfect series, and it is part of the collection of 10 rom-coms in that anthology that I bought earlier this year. In this one, scientific genius Lucy London has amassed a wealth of knowledge, but one subject still eludes her. People. So, when she's offered a grant to study emotion as a pathogen, she jumps on the opportunity. When she convinces her neighbor, Jensen Walker, to help her, sparks fly. So, they're going to do things in order to study them, and then they're going to have romantic feelings. Ooh, exciting. And then I will probably start... May or may not finish, because who knows at this point. One last book for the week, and it is Lies My Memory Told Me by Sasha Wunsch. This is a NetGalley read that releases on October 19th, and it's a YA mystery thriller. And I'm just going to read the synopsis straight from Goodreads, because I don't know how to explain it better than that. Enhanced memory changed everything. By sharing someone else's memory, you can experience anything and everything with no risk at all. 
learn any skill instantly, travel the world from home, and safeguard all your most treasured secrets forever. Nova's parents invented this technology, and it's slowly taking over their lives. But Nova doesn't mind, mostly. She knows enhanced memory is a gift. But Cade says Nova doesn't know the cost of this technology that's taken the world by storm. Cade runs a secret vlog cataloging real experiences, is always on the move, and is strangely afraid of Nova, even though she feels more comfortable with him than she ever has with anyone. Suddenly, there are things Nova can't stop noticing. The way her parents don't meet her eyes anymore, the questions no one wants to ask her, and the relentless feeling that there's something she's forgotten. So I'm assuming she's had memories taken away from her, and bad things happened. I would say I don't expect to finish that one, but I said that about Waking Gods, and I did. So we'll, well see how many of these books I can actually get through. I was saying, it sounds like a decent book. It's not like it's going to be a bad one by any means, so... I'm very excited for what I plan on reading this next week. I think the one I'm least excited for is the romance that came from that 10 rom-com anthology because that one's been hit or miss, but it's more like hit and miss, 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 miss. So we'll see. As for what you've been reading, like I said earlier, you finished Arch Enemies. Book numero dos of the Renegades trilogy. How did you like it? It was good. I... Like I said, I was complaining last week about all the filler. Right. And things started to happen finally, so it's like, hallelujah. It definitely picks up pace towards the end. It starts to pick up almost immediately after the chapter that we read So right. previously. so. Well, and like what we're going to discuss next, I really enjoyed that part, even though it is not as action-y as the last couple of chapters. You see Nova trying to be sneaky, and be a spy, but also there is this romance thing happening, and so like the next few chapters were like my jam when I was reading this. <laughs> and and the romance stuff was okay and everything like that. I just liked the stealthiness that she had to use to stay out of limelight. Like, well, I think you're definitely reminded of the fact that oh yeah, she is a villain, and yeah. these are her enemies. Like, dare we say when she steals the vitality charm after the dinner that they had with um captain chromium and the dread warden yeah i have no idea why i just drew a blank on that so the simon and hugh yeah but real quick we did end the last episode with nova falling asleep in a dreamless sleep and the next chapter opens with her waking up and adrian's there and informs her oh you've been asleep for about 24 hours yeah so so much for not sleeping yeah Albeit, I kind of understand why she slept, because she had noise-canceling headphones on, which is fantastic. Well, on top of that, they were made by Adrian, who, like, his intention went into the item, and, like, I feel like he could make some very good noise-canceling headphones. That helped you sleep. Plus, I think at this point, you could also argue that some of her power was taken away by Max, so while she may not have to sleep the way a normal human does, she might still have to sleep, like, every once in a while. But I thought we were under the impression that the reason she doesn't sleep is because of not her powers, but due to the fact of the things that happened when she was younger. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's what brought it on. And she ends up having dinner that night with Captain Chromium and the Dread Warden. And it's really funny because you see them being so domestic and she's, like, constantly expecting them to, like, turn on her. And attack her at any moments. And she's very jumpy. Like, more so than whenever you're meeting a boyfriend's parents. Like, even more than that... Well, I don't know. I went out of left field. I basically told your mom that I was going to marry you. So, like, that's the first time I met her. So, you know. But we had been dating for, like, a year at that point. Uh, Oh, yeah. Year, year and a half, roughly, I think. Yeah. That's a little different. Yeah. And there, there are some funny and cute moments. And you also see Nova trying to question his parents to, like, figure out where the vitality charm is. Because she knows that he wanted to give it to Simon, the Dread Warden. So that he could use it with Max. And so she knows it's either got to be here or in headquarters, but she assumes it's at home. Right. Which is weird because you think you'd definitely secure it somewhere where it's more secure, like the headquarters would be, but... I I mean, they do have a gate that won't let you in if you aren't part of the Renegades. I feel like that's pretty good security. Sure, it's a gate, though. Like, burglars climb over those things, so... At the same time, who's crazy enough to break into their house knowing who lives there? Right, yeah. They're also discussing the Sentinel, so, like, Adrian is now very jumpy and skittish. Yeah, it, it was a really good scene. I, like, I enjoyed it. Right. I also liked Noah's 
explanation as to why she was down there in the closet where the Vitality Charm was. Like, oh, I was just looking for snacks. Right. Oh, okay. Well, first she has to put Adrian to sleep. And so, like, she's trying to figure out what to do. Like, maybe we can hold hands or, like, sit really close together. Or I can do something to make him, like, fall asleep. People fall asleep during movies all the time. That's totally normal. And they end up kissing because they're talking about the gallo. And, like, that feels much more like the wrong moment to put him to sleep. Yeah. Because most boys won't just fall asleep while you're making out with them. Nope. That's definitely not something that we do. But then she goes to explore the house. She doesn't find it upstairs in their office. And at least one of them is in their bedroom. So she can't go explore that. So she goes back downstairs. And they had discussed during dinner that they keep some stuff around the house in this closet when really it should be a pantry. And they also leave their suits there. They leave their suits there. So she's like, I'll try that. Mm -hmm. And then she gets caught by Simon, and so she says something along the lines of looking for snacks, and he's like, no, this is where the snacks are. Yeah, and then grabs himself a candy bar as well. And, like, not suspicious at all. At that point, I would think you would be, but... I I know I would have been, but at the same time, I do have a little bit of a heads up, so... Right. But after she has it, she goes back to sit with Adrian, who is sleeping on the couch. And the movie is just finishing when he wakes up. So, like, perfect timing. And then Nova kind of makes a quick, not stealthy getaway. They're awkward. Yeah, they really are. And she ends up meeting up with her uncle and discussing that Captain Chromium had said that something Chromium of his that he's created might open The the box. But they'd have to test it to be sure. They don't know. Right. But of course, he's like, no one could get in unless it's me, because I'm giant shoulder pad guy. Right. And they're trying to come up with different ideas of what they could do. And at that point, they're also coming up with ways to get the helmet, I believe, at this point. Talking about how she needs a getaway driver to take her to and from headquarters. Yeah, she starts playing the gala plan, basically, on how she was going to break in and all that stuff. Yeah. And Leroy kind of gets wistful and is like, all this planning does bring back memories. Yeah. Silly villains. And while they're coming up with this plan, there is a butterfly that has come down into where they're having this meeting. And Nova's freaking out. They're like, it's a freaking butterfly. Relax. And they catch it inside a pillowcase. And she's talking about how you can't kill it because as long as you have one of Dana's or Dana's butterflies she can't can't form back into her normal person she has to stay in a swarm ace is like all this racket she's like it's a renegade it's not just like a butterfly yeah so now nova has this problem that she has to deal with because like now dana or dana is just gonna be missing because she can't change back because she could tell them about her oh she'd rat them out in a heartbeat yeah but then we see the gala nova's late for some unspecified reason. I believe she just says that her uncle wasn't feeling well or something. Right. And that kind of also gives her an out later if she has to leave early. That was kind of the point, I think. Yeah. But you do see her being a little awkward with Adrian. And you also see Oscar being a little awkward with Ruby And like teens in formal wear. We were all there one time. Yeah. I do like the moment where Oscar is helping adrian with his tie and adrian's like is that a clip-on and oscar snorts please only villains wear clip-ons yeah so you get a lot of funny moments throughout the series but doesn't he end up drawing his bow tie yeah. on okay mm-hmm. he doesn't actually tie it he's like oh, i'll just draw he this bow tie. Yeah. yeah but oscar asks nova like do you think ruby likes me and like all this cute like teenager stuff that's super fun dancing on the dance floor and adrian and nova or they're exploring the gift shop at this location where the gal is being held and it's all a bunch of cheesy renegade stuff so she hates it immediately it's all the touristy crap you'd see at like any major city or like site of interest but it's gatlin city and it's renegades related only place you can get it in gatlin city And they have more conversations about the Age of Anarchy and people idolizing the Renegades because that's a theme throughout their conversations. Right. Though I think they're both very gray about the issue. Like, they're neither really black or white, which I think is kind of the whole point. I love my morally gray babies. 
Though she does think about how it's kind of problematic the way that she feels about Adrian and the fact that she's like romantic with him and it's not all fake. But she's thinking about that as she's heading to meet Honey and Leroy so that they can start the gala job. She gives Honey her wristband, I believe, so that she can run it back to the house and people think she went back there to be with her uncle, who is or is not sick. And Leroy drives her to the Renegades Tower and he's basically like circling the block until she's done doing her thing. And we see her break in. It's really a little bit messy, her breaking in. Well, she comes upon a stranger almost immediately. Right. And she's able to subdue people, but then the security for the building while the gala is going on is Frostbite's team. Right. That patrol team. So she has to disable one of them in the security room. Stingray. While she has to change what's being filmed and monitored. Yeah, and that one legitimately happens... After Stingray gets over-the-top confident. Of course, yeah. Like, oh, well, I poisoned you. You should be passing out at any time. And and she's like, nah. Yeah. Got that vitality charm, my dude. And so she's completely fine. Yep. And she ends up going to get the chromium spear that Captain Chromium had made however long ago that was sitting in the weapons and artifacts room. Right. And she uses that to break open the chromium box that had the helmet from Ace Anarchy. And it didn't end up working with the spear. She had to end up using the ring or whatever, or like the the thing that grew on her wristband or whatever when... So it's kind of weird here because it doesn't work by itself. It ends up working because of the star that she had taken from the statue from that room that Adrian had painted. Correct. So it seems like it's made out of something special. Yeah. Something, I wouldn't call it magical, but like fantastical. Yeah. That makes the spear have the right whatever to open open the box. Yeah. And then there is a cut-to scene of Adrian at the gala with Ruby and Oscar. And he ends up leaving because he feels like a third wheel. And that's when one of Dana's butterflies ends up finding him and taking him to the cathedral because that's where Ace Anarchy is hiding out. And, like, she's trying to warn people. As well, too, it's the last place she really would have remembered, I would imagine, where she was because they put her in a mason jar shortly thereafter. And after they moved her wherever they were going to, which ends up being... Nova's house. Yeah. When he is there, he is calling for backup whenever he sees Phobia come out of nowhere. Phobia kind of plays with him a little bit, showing him his fears and, like, the fear of what happened to his mom. Right. And that's when he decides to become the sentinel to try to deal with Phobia. Well, to try to deal with all the crows that were eating Dana. Yeah. Swarm of butterflies who had... Phobia's crows were attacking Dana's butterfly swarm. And Dana's butterfly swarm was there because it was bringing backup for him to there in the form of Ruby and... I want to say that Ruby and Oscar got the backup call from Adrian and showed up. I don't want to say it was the butterfly swarm, but I could be wrong. I could be as well. I read that very late at night. But eventually, Phobia disappears. No one thinks that Phobia is dead, that, you know, he's just gone. And then Adrian has to deal with the fact that he's in his sentinel suit in front of Ruby and Oscar. So he has to tell them about himself so that he doesn't get taken in because, you know, the sentinel's done some not great things. Also been lied about saying he was doing not great things. I love murder things that immediately smokescreens like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) When they were talking about uh, Janessa Clark's team. And what actually happened there. With Hawthorne, yeah. And they decide to go down into the cathedral themselves to figure out what Dana or Dana was... Freaking out about? Yeah. Boy, uh, that was an interesting fight scene. I feel like I knew because Ace was weak that he wasn't going to be capable of fighting off all three of them. Right. But, like, he put up a good couple rounds... I mean, he was fighting probably longer than they've been alive. Well, realistically, yes. So, I'm not that surprised. Meanwhile, back on the farm, (sighs) in the Renegades Tower, Nova is getting confronted with Gargoyle because, of course. And 
everyone is kind of in the main lobby. Nova, Janessa, Gargoyle. And they have this big fight scene down there. Magnitude was causing some heck. As well, yes. A little too much heck. To say the least, he started destroying the freaking lobby completely. Right. You know, Frostbite froze Nova in place and went to neutralize her. It didn't work because of the vitality charm. She ends up using one of her own little bombs and takes out Gargoyle. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And that's when things really get crazy because... Because they never took away the staff from her. So, like, she was able then to break the ice off of her feet. Right. Because everyone wanted to stay away from her. They didn't want to be around the agent in gas and lose their powers after what just happened with Gargoyle. Right. So she's freed and, like, she's about to book it out. But the guy who can do the earthquakes... Starts wrecking havoc and then she sees Max at risk. Because the sky bridge collapsed and, like, the whole quarantine fell. Yeah. Which, that's where Max seems to spend, like, 99% of his time is in the quarantine section and not back in, like, the bedroom or bathroom or whatever that he has. And, of course, that's when the book decides to go back to Adrian's fight scene in the cathedral. I think we can just leave it as it was an intense fight scene because... Yeah, I, I mean... Adrian had to use some of his sketch powers, but he also had to use some of his sentinel powers. So I feel like we have to at least confront the fact that as one or the other, he couldn't have handled that fight. Together he was capable. Right. And of course there's cute stuff with Oscar and Ruby at one point. Well, the reality is the sentinel powers are sketch powers technically because like he sketched them onto himself. But but... if he was only using his sketching abilities and not the tattoos. Oh, he would have got jacked up. And if he had only been using the tattoos, he wouldn't have been able to make that bomb that he uses. So he had to be both. Yeah, 100%. They leave Ace Anarchy there with a message from the sentinel saying basically there's a peace offering. Oscar and Ruby end up calling for the rest of the renegades. And Nova, despite the fact that she's in her nightmare uniform outfit, is trying to help Max because, like... She still cares about Max. The whole quarantine fell down, and, like, she still cares about him. He's like a little brother. So, like, she's trying to do what she can, but she's having to deal with the fact that he's making himself invisible so that he can confront her. And Frostbite is trying to attack her with ice. And then you've got the other guy still making earthquakes. Aftershock, that's his name. That was going to bother me. Aftershock does get hit by one of the poison darts, though, at a certain point from the yes. pen. So yeah. it clears that up for him. Janessa's just losing her whole team. Yeah. Which I feel like that's right. Nova should take out Janessa's team. Yeah. But Frostbite is also dealing with the fact that she's in the same room as Max. And so Janessa starts losing her powers. Right. And there's this whole thing happening where she's losing her powers and Nova is dealing with the fact that she's trying to get out of here, protect Max, but also her spear gets taken away, I believe. Yep. And when her spear gets thrown at her, because he was invisible, Max is the one who gets hit with it because he was right in front of her. Well, right behind her. She dodged it and then Janessa put it through him. right behind her. Yeah. His... Stolen frostbite powers are the thing that are, like, staunching the wound. Right. And keeping him from just bleeding out immediately. That's when the Sentinel shows up. Nova's been trying to help him, so she's got blood on her hands, and the Sentinel thinks that she did it, and it's her fault. Well, in reality, she was, like, legitimately treating the wounds and trying to protect him and all that stuff. And the Sentinel wants to run after her, chase her down, get her, but she is running back to her safe house, and he needs to get Max to a hospital. Right. So he uses his springy feet to get to get to a hospital. hospital. They tried to bring out a prodigy healer when he got there. He was like, no. No, take her as far away from him as you can. And and they're like, we don't have normal normal emergency room doctor. And this just drives in the point Nova's made about the fact that they're dependent. You need to have non-prodigies doing essential services as well. Because otherwise you become completely dependent. Yes. But she discovers from Phobia that Ace Anarchy has been taken by the Renegades. So even though she got his helmet, fat lot of good it did you. Yeah, because you can't give it to the guy that you actually need to give it to. And she's lamenting that fact along with the fact that she thinks that 
her... Cover could be blown? Yes, thank you. She's like, I blew my cover for a helmet that I can't even use, sort of thing. When in reality, they still technically have Dana in a mason jar, so like... Yeah, and Adrian ends up showing up at her house, and she thinks, oh, that's it, he's coming for me. But he's just really emotional about what happened to Max... And so he goes to see Nova for comfort, which, like, Aww. yeah, girl, you you got him. Like, because Hook, line, and he, is the he first didn't place go he to went. Rui, he didn't go to Oscar, he didn't go to his dad's, he went to you when yeah. he's all emotional about his brother possibly dying. So, like, he's hooked. Bingo, you're the winner. And so, like, she's trying to comfort him, but how can she really? Right. It's pretty but, much where it wraps up. Yeah, I'm thinking of a way to say this, because... The thing that I've found every time I've read Arch Enemies, which I think I've read it three times now, is that by the end of the final chapter, you see both people completely dedicated to their original goal. Right. Because Adrian's original goal was to find Nightmare. And now especially, that is his main goal, is to find Nightmare. This time to kill her and not just get information, but he's still more dedicated now than at the beginning of book one. And then Nova is even more dedicated than before to take the renegades down from the inside because her cover wasn't blown. And it's because now she has to get her uncle. Yeah. So out of custody. I feel like they've both been through so much that now they're going to be like stubborn in their motivation for what they're doing. Whereas before, especially in the second one, I felt like they were both moving towards the middle more yeah, and had less hatred for their enemy than they did at the start of book one. But now it's like even worse than the start of book one. I can agree with that. It's part of what makes me very excited about what we're, I'm reading this week, which will be the, the third book. Yes, you're going to get through the first third of Supernova Technically, it's a little longer than a week because we're not going to discuss it until the episode we are recording at the beginning of September because of that vacation that we're taking. So you have a little longer than a week. Right. So. Which I probably will do quite a bit of reading, let's be honest. Yeah. But that's exciting because I really enjoyed this whole series, so. I'll be honest, so far I've really enjoyed it as well. Again, like the filler was necessary, so I'm glad it existed and I am ready to start this third book off with a bang. But while we are gone, we'll hopefully stay on top of our social media. So make sure you're checking all of that out. The links will be in the show notes. And we'll catch you when we come back for a sports episode. Bye, guys. Bye.